Hello, adventuresses, and welcome back to the podcast dedicated to women who love horses, travel, and most of all, adventure. My name is Heather, and I will be your host today while we dive into one of my favorite topics, horses, of course, um, and some super cool facts. Um, I love doing research on those did you knows. Um, so we got, you know, how do you measure a horse? What's How does that whole measurement system works? Um, how many different kinds of horse racing are there? I bet you you don't know. And the, uh, the, the most interesting thing that I learned today or learned uh, was, you know, we know that some horses share the same birthday, but did you know that it depends on what side of the equator that birthday falls? So stay tuned for a super fun episode on super cool horse facts. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. To infinity and beyond! And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. Today's podcast is sponsored by Stone Horse Expeditions in Mongolia. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to visit a distant land? Ride across unfenced grassy hills, down long flower-filled valleys, crossing rivers and mountain passes, making camp in beautiful riverside setting, and watching the horses graze in nearby meadows, all while sipping a glass of wine or perhaps a cup of tea just as the sun goes down. And then do it again tomorrow and again for days at a time. Stone horse expeditions in Mongolia with their easygoing yet tough Mongolian horses, each with an unforgettable character, may be just the trip you were looking for to help rebalance in pristine nature with like-minded friends after a long absence of travel. Stone horse provides a safe, small group environment taking care of your needs from the moment you arrive to the moment of departure. Their seasoned staff and experienced trip leaders, their own comfortable handmade saddles, and the delicious meals conjured up each night will make for an adventure of a lifetime. With a combined expedition experience of 40 plus years, the owners of Stonehorse know what to provide you to make each trip a memorable experience. Whether traveling with friends or making new ones along the way, you will add to the story of Stonehorse, and it will become a part of your own. You can contact Stonehorse through their website at www.stonehorsemongolia.com or email them directly at info at stonehorsemongolia.com to learn more about how you can join them as they travel by horseback through the cultural and wilderness landscapes of this enchanted land. Well, adventuresses, cool horse facts is my forte. I like learning about it. I like talking about it. I love sharing the information on it. Because we know, really, humans and horses, we've been around for a super long time. We use them for transportation. We use them in battle. We use them for trade. Um, and literally, civilizations have been built, really, on the backs of horses. Um, still today, there are many uh, industries whether it's essential labor or, or even for entertainment, horses are used. Um, the one interesting is there's way more equestrians out there than meet the eye. 
In today's episode, we're really going to look in at, you know, how these amazing domestic animals um, have really, you know, changed us and uh, inspired us. Um, so, you know, to kind of start off, um, I, I did mention in the uh, uh, earlier about how many breeds of horses are there around the world, right? You know, when I sit, sit here and think about, okay, you know, the common ones, you got your quarter horse and your thoroughbred and your Arabian, you know, kind of big ones, right? There's over 300 different breeds of horses in the world today, which is amazing. Um, horses themselves, um, you know, the can live up to 30. And we all know, we've all heard about that. You know, our, our auntie's neighbor's sister always, you know, oh, their horse lived to 45. Um, you know, those great, I had, uh, I lost a horse uh, a couple summers ago and he was 28 and boy, he lived the best life ever. You know, you know, he owed nothing to this world the day that uh, he went across the uh, the rainbow bridge to horsey heaven where he could have as many carrots and oats and apples that he wanted. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, a sad day for me. But, you know, if horses can live well into their 30s, that makes me happy. Um, you know, we do talk all you know, when they men talk about horses and how big they are, um, you know, 14 to 18 hands does tend to be the the average right um in the research on you know really they do have their own measurement system like horses are the only animal that i've ever heard of that's me measured in hands like you never hear oh i saw that moose and he was 18 hands high you know they always say oh he was six or seven feet high so so i i think that was really cool so a, a horse when you're talking about size, uh, is obviously measured in a hand. And one hand equals uh, about four inches or about 10 centimeters, um, you know, depending if you're imperial or metric. Um, however, only whole units are read as hands, while the decimals are read as inches. So, for example, if a horse is 4.5 hands in height, um, it would read as, you know, four hands, five inches. Um, but we, you know, very often you hear 14.3, 15.2 is, is really how they're, how they're, um, described when it comes to height. Um, there are some, you know, really cool things about size and, and weight. Um, you know, an average light riding horse between 14 and 16 hands, um, whereas your your larger riding horses, your jumpers, lots of your dressage horses are in that 15 to 17 hands. And then you have your big draft horses that fall into that 18, 19, 20 hands. Like you see, you know, the big Clydesdales they use to pull the Budweiser cart, you know, they're 18, 19, 20 hands high. Um, so, so that really is, uh, you know, vast difference between your little uh, trail riding horse to a horse that has to pull a cart. Um, when it comes to actual weight of horses, um, you know, really between, um, you know, depending if you're thinking uh, imperial or metric again, so anywhere between, you know, 400 and 500 kilos, so, you know, that 800 to 1200 pounds, um, 
you know, and lots of times knowing how much your horse weighs helps with giving medication, dewormer, all of those kind of things. They have these like handy little tapes that you can almost looks like a measuring tape that you can use to uh, measure around your horse's girth and it'll give you an approximate, you know, pretty close amount of weight, um, as well as you can measure from like the point of the uh, middle of their chest around to the middle of their tail. And that will tell you um, how long they are and how can measure how high they are, all those really kind of fun things. Um, one thing that I found interesting is, you know, kind of uh, when you talk about horses, you talk about ponies. So ponies really are just another kind of horse, um, but it is based on height. So, and it's interesting, um, in Australia, they set the limit, anything under 14 hands or 142 centimeters is considered a pony. Whereas in the United States, uh, it's 14.1. So 145 centimeters or uh, 14 hands and that uh, one inch. So, you know, that's just an interesting, fun fact. Now, miniature horses aren't measured in, in hands, which I thought was, was quite interesting. They're measured always in inches and centimeters. So they will be 35 inches tall or, uh, you know, 35, that would be 35 inches would be like a 90 centimeters kind of thing. Maybe that's too many. I'm doing some quick math in my head, but, um, so that there, there's a, a fun fact for you to throw out if you're looking for a useless trivia to store in your mind that horses are measured in hands, ponies um, are also measured in, in hands, whereas miniature horses, just inches or centimeters. So you can add that to your uh, fun fact list. Um, something else that is really interesting, horses can breed with other horse-like animals. So, you know, it... it <laughs> Kind of may seem more of like a unlikely horse fact, but a horse could mate with a donkey, um, which a horse and a donkey create a mule or a ninny. Um, mules come from when it's a male donkey and a female horse, so a jack and a mare, versus where you get a ninny, which is a stallion and a jenny. Um, I have heard that um, when you get a mule, so a from a jack and a mare, they're far better. It's like they take the best of the horse and the best of the donkey and they make the mule. Whereas um, when you breed the opposite way, the stallion and the donkey, uh, the the jenny, um, they tend not to pull the, the you know, the, the best characteristics. Uh, one interesting thing um, is they can also um, breed with a zebra. Um, so, so that's, you sometimes, it is a different combination when, when you see that, but interesting enough, um, these hybrids, um, are generally born sterile, so they aren't able to reproduce themselves. So that's uh, another fun fact for you to add. Um, last week or a couple weeks ago, we covered off how colors are, are kind of really created, um, so, or colors of horses, pardon me. So scientists have discovered that there's 13 genetic variations in horses' DNA that control their coloration. Um, and they really, as they do more research and as um, technology advances, uh, they're discovering more and more um, research that there could be more. Um, they do, how you know, horses do have, you know, kind of that 
basic coloration um, with the chestnut and the black, but they uh, there is lots of spin-offs of how when you know you get the palominos and you get the Epaloosas and you get those um, kind of mutations in the DNA that gives those uh, other coloration um, formulations. So I did mention in the very beginning about horses' birthdays. So here we go. For standardization purposes, most competition horses disregard the actual month and day of their birth. Instead, they share January 1st as their birthday in the Northern Hemisphere. However, it's August 1st if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. So racehorses, very common, um, you know, where, where we're seeing that birthday come into play that you want, you know, you never want a racehorse to be born in, in December because if it's born in December or, in, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere or born in July in the Southern Hemisphere, that means January 1 and August 1, they're a year old. So technically when they're eligible to start racing as two-year-old, three-year-old, they're really only, you know, they're like one month old and already considered a, a one-year-old. So that's something that, uh, that you want to be uh, cautious of. So you want to make sure that if you're breeding, you're doing your calculations, right? So they're born in the right month, uh, as close to January 1st, but after January 1st. Um, horses themselves are um, called different names depending on their age. So for example, uh, when a, a baby horse first arrives, they're referred to as a foal. So while they're under a year, they're considered a foal. Um, then once they're a year old, then they're described um, you know, as a colt being the male uh, and a filly being the uh, female, and then they move into, um, you know, whether they st stay colt, then become stallion or mare or gelding for the stallion um, if he's been castrated. Um, so traditionally, a female horse would be considered a filly until they're four years old and then called a mare after. Um, and a stallion stays a stallion until they're castrated, which then they become, uh, once they're over four, um, they would become a gelding. So most, uh, if you're keeping a male horse um, as a stallion, then they stay a stallion. If you're one, you're going to use it for not, you know, everyday riding and not keeping it as a stallion. Traditionally, they're gelded, you know, kind of in that first year. So that was... Uh, Kind of a, a neat thing if you didn't know what the difference between when they become, when they transition from full to filly and colt and then uh, mare and stallion. Um, next on my list, we have, you know, the three uh, breed categories kind of thing. You have, uh, you know, your, your hot-blooded ones, um, which are really marked uh, for speed, endurance compared to the other ones. Uh, and then you have your cold-blooded horses, you know, which are really known for their superior strength and their suitability for doing hard labor. And then you have the warm bloods, which are usually born from cross-breeding, cross pardon me, hot and cold-blooded horses. Um, 
majority of riding horses belong in that uh, warm bloodish category. So first on the list would be Arabians. So, you know, they fall into that hot blooded horse category. Um, really one of the oldest known breeds dating back really thousands of years. Um, the Arabian horse has distinctive head um, with a wedge-like contours and a broad fore uh, foreheads, large eyes uh, and nostrils um, with a shorter muzzle. Um, their speed and endurance often makes them uh, the mounted choice for endurance riding. Um, and, and you do see Arabian crossbreeding in a lot of other breeds simply because of their, you know, they got what it takes. They got that long, long standing, um, you know, the, that endurance that, um, you know, and they never give up. They never quit. Um, interesting fact, they do have uh, the fewest bones. So the average um, horse has 205 and Arabians only have uh, 2000 or two, 2000. 203 bones um so it's one less rib and one uh less lumbar vertebrae um and sometimes they are missing one of the tailbones um so that uh does you know maybe that maybe that's what gives them that longevity um next we talk about the cold-blooded horse breed where uh the belgian horses kind of you know those the belgian the Clydesdale, those draft, those big workhorses, um, you know, lots of, you know, from the old days of the war horses of the Middle Ages, um, you know, Belgian horses, you know, originally uh, came from the from Belgian. Um, some of the strongest horses in the world, you know, great for hard labor. Um, you are seeing more and more of them become riding horses simply because of their kind nature, um, their their ability to, you know, as our population gets heavier, some of the larger horses uh, do tend to uh, be able to carry some of the larger folks out there. Hi. I was going to save this one to the end, but I have to put it in here now because I want to talk about it. So the city that I live in, uh, just recently or earlier in the spring, uh, somebody won the big lotto. Um, and it was pretty exciting because um, now I know in Canada, the lotto's usually, you know, 70, 80 million. Um, I know in the United States, some of the Powerball's like 300 million. Uh, but this particular family, they won 70 million. Well, then as I was reading on all of these super cool, fun facts, I came across this horse that was sold for $70 million dollars. I'm like, I could buy a lot of horses for $70 million, but I guess if you have $70 million to buy a racehorse, you probably have more than $70 million. So, but yes, so um, this horse, and I will attempt to uh, decipher his name, Fu, Fuashi Pegasus, most expensive horse ever sold. Thoroughbred racehorse purchased in 2000, so 22 years ago, 70 million bucks. Now, I think I read somewhere that it was 70 million US. So in Canada, that would be like 110 million. Um, that would probably be like 65 million euro. Um, 
a ton of money. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So um, if there's anybody out there that has a spare 70 million and wants to buy me a couple horses, I'll totally take them off your hands. Not a problem. Um, okay, most popular horses. Um, you know, you go through the list. Oh, probably warm bloods because, you know, there's so many showing and everything. But nope, the American Quarter Horse, most popular horse breed out there. Then the thoroughbred, then the Arabian. I think it leans towards probably the research comes from probably more quarter horses in the United States. And if any of you are watching Yellowstone and watching all those shows where they're, you know, riding those, uh, um, uh, the, all the quarter horses doing all the cutting and reining and roping. And I think we all just watch it so we can watch the cowboys. But there's some pretty fantastic horses in there. Um, interesting fact, Hanoverians are the most famous horse breed in the world. Um, so, you know, Hanoverian falls into the warm blood category. Um, so they, the Hanoverian breed was created from, um, the result of a breeding program in the early 18th century, uh, launched by King George II. Uh, this breeding program mixed together several older breeds to produce produce the Hanoverian, uh, the Andalusian, the Cleveland Bay, the Holsteiner, uh, the Neapolitan and the thoroughbred breed were all kind of manipulated and, and, uh, informed this new breed. Um, the result uh, of, of creating this new breed made it suitable for pulling coaches and carriages, um, and later carrying cavalry into battle. After World War One. um, Hanoverians became a favored breed for both sport and pleasure riding. So, you know, when you look at the, uh, you know, if, if you like, I like big horses. I'm a little bigger person, so I like the bigger horses because I feel like they can carry me better. Uh, I do feel that sometimes the bigger ones are just like, oh, it's too much effort to buck, so I'm just going to walk. The one I got now, like, he is so lazy. Now, he's a quarter horse, but I'm sure that part of his brain is like, yeah, if we just walk everywhere, everything will be good. So anyways, um, what else do I have on my super fun list? Um, different kinds of horse racing. I, I, the second one, I didn't kind of consider it a horse racing style until I read about it, but so, you know, we obviously know about flat racing, which is, you know, super common, uh, lots of controversy over it. Uh, I know every year, uh, we watch the Kentucky Derby and it's exciting. Or you watch all those movies with Secretariat and all those kind of, so like, you know, you only see the good side of things. I, you know, there's bad people out there everywhere. It doesn't just necessarily in horses, but um, it, it's a big money industry. Um, I would hope that the horses, uh, you know, that are winning them millions of dollars are well cared for and well loved. Um, but so, you know, flat racing, you know, the straightforward race where the rider and horse dashes towards the finish line as fast as they can and whoever gets their first wins. Then there's steeplechasing. And I, you know, I always kind of thought steeplechasing, like I knew it was a race, but I wouldn't have classified it as horse racing. Um, but basically it's, you know, involves placing obstacles that you need to get jumped over. So basically it's like a big cross country course that you're going as fast as you can. Um, and then there's harness racing, um, where, you know, the riders or the horse two-wheeled cart, um, and the horse goes at a trot, uh, standard bread, very famous for that. Um, 
gambling is a big, big part of, uh, of, of the, uh, of horse racing. Um, so when, again, anytime there's money involved, there's always some crookedness to it. So, um, whether you like it or not, it is out there. It is, uh, you know, a very large part of the, uh, horse industry. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, everyone has their own opinions on it and, uh, I'm just the, the sharer of information. Now, one thing that uh, I found, it, you know, there's lots of really cool like riding things with horses, um, but this one, mounted archery, um, really like they consider it an art in Japan. So it's called, yeah, buzam, buzame, yeah, buzame, I think is how you say it. There's probably a Japanese accent on it that I am not good at, but so basically the rider or the archer is in traditional samurai armor riding a horse around a track. As they ride around the track, they use their bow and arrow to shoot at targets in various places and positions around the track. With their hands occupied by weapons, they must guide their horse by only using their legs. Um, Many, many years of training goes in and only the most experienced archers are allowed to participate in official events. Um, These official events are very high profile and sometimes even the emperor of Japan attends. Um, You know, they've had, you know, former U.S. presidents um, visit there um, to 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 take part in these uh, in these mounted arch mounted archery events. So if you're ever in Japan, um, so that's probably two things you want. You want to go see the, the mounted archery and the cherry blossom festival. Um, it is quite expensive to go to Japan. Um, however, if it is on your bucket list, you want to make sure that you hit mounted archery and the cherry blossom, cherry blossom festival. Okay. So kind of going back to a little bit of science geeky stuff, which I sometimes like to to dive into. Um, a horse's heart weighs nearly 10 pounds. Isn't that crazy? Um, considering that our heart weighs about a pound. Um, But interesting enough, Secretariat's heart weighed nearly 22 pounds, which if you understand the science of it, the larger the heart, the more blood they could pump every time it pulsed, the faster they could go. Because if they are pushing more uh, blood, it's, you know, through the lungs and uh, it's definitely, they can, you know, the blood can go faster, the muscles are getting it and they can go faster. Now, to stick with the geekiness about the science, also, so their heart weighs this much. Did you know that the horse's teeth in their mouth take up more space than their actual brain? Who who didn't know that? Me, I didn't know that. So, so crazy, crazy, crazy things about horses. They can't throw up, hence why they have so many colic issues. Um, you know, they they can't um like, you know, when a cow has the four stomachs and they kind of spit up their cud and, and that kind of keeps things going, horses can't release any pressure caused by gas or build up in their stomachs. Um, they can't expel in, indigestible material from their stomach, um, which the statistics of how many horses die from colic-based complications because of that, if they could only throw up, they, this, this wouldn't really be a problem. 
Um, I did read a, a, a statistic that 64,000 horses in the U.S. alone die every year from colic-based complications. So uh, that is something to uh, to keep in mind. Now, anyone that's ever owned a horse, been around a horse, anything, knows this fact, that horses have a good sense of smell. If you've ever had a carrot in your pocket, if you've just finished eating an apple, that horse is going to know. And they are going to be sniffing you and checking your pockets and double checking your pockets and giving you the stink eye of like, I can smell it. Where's my treat? Um, But it is interesting that they have two separate systems to smell through their nose. Um, First is through the nasal cavity into the uh, into the olfactor nerves. Now. The second is under the nasal cavity, past a set of glands dedicated to smelling and understanding pheromones. So, thought that was kind of fun. Um, which then also, because they can't burp, um, they have a really extremely strong um, valve located between their stomach and their esophagus. That's why they can't throw up or burp. Um, and if a, if there is a, in a very rare chance that a horse does burp, it's usually an indication of a serious health concern. So now I only have a couple more things on my list and two are super important to me because uh, these are two things that are I enjoy. Um, and it's music. So a British study in 2013 showed that horses feel calm and relaxed when listening to classical country or country music, which, you know, there is something calming about being in an, well, not if the elevator stops, but you know, how like when you just hear that really light elevator music, it's kind of classical. It is kind of soothing. Um, so that would kind of make sense why horses didn't, why they like that kind of music. However, jazz, which I would have thought would have been soothing too, but jazz and rock music can really like agitate horses. Um, So generally speaking, um, that any noise over 21 decibels in strength causes horses to become stressed um, and and quite can can make them quite angry. So if you want to make your horse angry, you want to turn on some heavy metal rock music. And lastly, uh, and this is something near and dear to my heart because I 100% believe in this, that horses can help with mental health. If I'm having a blue day, I can go stand out there. And it's like they know, right? They come and stand at the fence and maybe they give you a little poke with their nose. You're crying, not crying, just sad. Uh, Maybe even happy, sad, all of those kind of things. But there is something that they know when you're feeling down and and you need need, need some love. You know, they don't talk back. They just listen. Um... Equine assisted therapy continues to grow in popularity um, as a great treatment method for a wide variety of mental health issues. Uh, Horses can teach trust, respect, communication, boost confidence. Um, You know, all of us know the benefits of riding. You know, there's no time ever lost sitting in a saddle going for a ride. Whether you're riding around in the arena, just getting lost in your own thoughts, Toodling around, going down a trail, um, the benefits of riding um, suit suit us all. Um, 
and and I and I do do really feel that um, you know whether you're riding or listening to a podcast about horses, uh, going and visiting a friend that has a horse, even driving down the highway and you pass a horse trailer that's got horses in it, or drive by a field and you see the horses in it, there's something about horses that just make you smile, make you happy. So um, I hope you've enjoyed um, hearing some fun facts on horses. Uh, on behalf of Uta and myself, I do thank you for joining me today. If you like the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you will not miss any new episodes in the future. If you'd like to send us some feedback or share an idea for a future show, send us an email, hit us up on Facebook. Um, let us know, because um, really at the end of the day, uh, our goal is to provide you with all the information you need um, to go out there and have, you know, your own equestrian adventure. Don't forget to check out all the great things on our website, equestrianadventuresses.com. There's resources. There are, um, all the, all of the podcasts are on there. The TV series, uh, you want to buy a super cool sweatshirt that says that you're part of a super cool team. Um, go check it out. Lots of great stuff on there. So until next time, adventuresses, happy trails.